Hoody hoo. Hello guys, welcome to episode 81. Alright right, guys, so we're here with another awesome guest. Um, this one, you know, obviously early on I interviewed a lot of people that I knew um, beyond just Miss Robbins who kind of is our uh, mutual friend. I mean, we've known each other for a good while, but you know, we've kind of gone on our own paths and uh, you know, we've had each other's numbers and once in a while we say hello, uh, but we're both very busy and, um, he's just a person I've always thought about wanting to tell his story, uh, when I started this and, uh, you know, we kind of went to school together and we did some, uh, speakings at some, some schools for, uh, you know, teachers at some colleges and just kind of know what it's like to deal with people with, uh, you know, vision impairment and blindness, um, you know, showing them certain utensils and stuff that we use, like magnifiers, CCTVs, and so on. Um, but he's always been a person that's uh, kind of done a lot with the little that he has. I mean, he can't see at all, um, but I'll let him tell his story. Um, so why don't you uh, obviously tell us your name and, you know, a little about yourself. Hello, everyone. My name is Paul Day, um, and I am a person that is totally blind. You're getting a little low. I am a... Uh... My name is Paul Day. I'm a person who was totally blind. And um, I'll start out at the beginning of my story and try to fill in as much as I can. All right. Um, I was born originally in Jamaica. Um, and while there in Jamaica, I was totally sighted. But it came about that I had a eye condition blastoma and it wasn't caught right away there the person actually started recognizing some of the signs of it was my grandmother who was working here in the United States as a nurse and come home and see that my eyes were a different color um, I was starting to nick the corner of walls when I was running in plane and when they would call me they would come to my crib I wouldn't focus on them so they sort of realized that something was going on. The doctors at that time said there was nothing that they could really do for me. Um, except, you know, take the eyes out and I would probably most likely end up dying. So that wasn't an option for my family. So I managed, my grandmother managed to get me sponsored to come up here to the hospital to get eye treatment. So at the age of two, we moved to the United States, Camden, New Jersey, and I began my cancer treatment and chemotherapy treatment for my for my retinoblastoma, which is a cancer of the eyes. Um, they weren't able to save my vision, but they were able to save my life. So take the best out of the both. You know, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. Um, my family tried the best that they could, who also was assistance from the Commission for the Blind at that time to give me a normal life. Mm-hmm. Try not to treat me differently than any of my other siblings. I rode bikes, I skated, I hung out with my brothers and sisters and their friends, running around the streets, playing tag, different things like that. I attended regular public school. Um, but uh, through that time, I my good family life took a downturn when some um, instances occurred. And, um, our family life sort of crumbled down, and we went from a 
from good, stable life to a unstable life, and were evicted out of several houses, dealing with being poor, not having light, heat, water on a certain time. Um, I I always had the opportunity to go live with my grandmother, gave me sort of a more stable uh, religious upbringing. But any kid wants to be back with their mother, so you know I would go back and forth between those two lifestyles. Until one day I was watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and he did a special or show on Schools for the Blind. And that's where I saw Orbit School for the Blind. And I was like, I would like to go to a school like that. That was actually on the episode? Actually, I'm thinking it wasn't Orbit School for the Blind at that time. It was, he was talking about it. I mentioned it to my my, uh, Braille teacher. And she said, oh, there's a school like that in Philadelphia. Okay. So it was a similar school. Wow. Yeah, it was a similar school. Gotcha. At this time, I must have been like maybe around seven, seven years old, seven, eight years old. Right, right. And I had already did preschool, kindergarten, first and second grade in, in an all-public school. Um, you know, where I, I had friends and things like that, but I, this, this whole concept of, you know, living at school. You know, I was always, you know, fascinated with, like, books and things like that. So I had this, this like, wow, I can go live at a school, and then I can also get out of the, the hellhole that I was in at that time, you know. Right. Um, so I managed to, you know, they swung it that I was able to attend Overbrook Education Center, which was, um, which TJ knows is the, it's, a public school within the Oldbrook School for the Blind, and it happened to have also um, a program there for kids with visually, you know, with visual impairments, alongside of you know kids without visual impairments. So it's like a hybrid school. Now this was when they were together, right? OEC and OSB. Right. Right. Okay. Right. They were housed in the same building, so I got the package where I could attend OEC, Overbrook Educational Center, which is a public school but stay in the dorms of Overbrook School for the Blind. It was a huge school, so, a whole tundra and everything. Huge school, yeah, huge. So um, it was big. And that was sort of my first introduction, um, not necessarily OEC, but staying within the dorms to the world of disability. Before that, I would see people with blindness maybe once, twice, three times a year, through events with the Commission of the Blind. Like we had an event during Christmas time. We got to go shopping for our families. I saw kids there. Oh, I remember that, um, yeah. Yeah, the Easter egg hunt. We got to do stuff like that. But you really didn't like talk to the kids while you were there because everybody was still with their families and stuff like that. But Right. So a kid coming from Camden, my first, this first day sticks in my head all the time. Like my first day in the dorm. Um, I'm sitting there on my bed. I have a bed and a locker and a desk in like this huge room. It's like maybe four beds to a section, sections off by these lockers. Maybe maybe twelve of us to a you know to an area. And I'm sitting there, and then like these other kids start arriving, and they're they're like kids with all different types of like disabilities. They're they're kids that are also visually impaired. 
but there's kids there with at the time I didn't know the word for it, but it must have been like autism because some of them were not ver- not right. verbal. Right, right. Some so of them. You saw know, more of this than I did because I was only there for two years, and then they went to OEC and we moved. So I didn't, right. I didn't get to see any of this. I mean, I saw some of what you're talking about, like the Easter egg, egg hunt and all that, but a lot of you were there a lot longer than I was. Right. So it's like, um, so I'm, I'm being exposed to all these different people, you know, kids, and, and, and some of them were like older adults because Overbrook, you could go until you're age 21. So, you know, I'm being exposed to all these different disabilities it's just like blowing my mind at at, at that point because i've never been been around it um before so this this i can say it was sort of like my foundation of sort of being able to relate to other people different races different um, disabilities knowing the struggles of the different disabilities you know we have people there that that couldn't hear, so we had to know a little bit of the sign language, right. you know, if we wanted to interact and, and play with them. Um, you know, so this is really, without me knowing it at that time, really set the foundation for me to go into, like, a field of, like, disability advocacy, disability rights, or, or things for people with, with disabilities mm-hmm. because of my experience within those dorms um, and, and the things that I saw there. Where where did you did you feel like you were like one of the only ones out there before this? I knew there were other blind people out there just because of the stuff that I did within, you know, New Jersey's Commission for the Blind, you know, atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I was always only the one blind person, like in my community, right, right, in my circle. I didn't have any blind friends. Um, I definitely did not see anyone in a wheelchair or using crutches or anyone that was deaf until that day when I sat, I first got to the dorms. Like one of my bedmates next to, you know, the bed next to me was in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I've never seen that before. There was somebody that was on crutches because they couldn't, you know, their legs couldn't support them. So when they walked, they had to walk very slowly. And, and being eight years old, I had to start taking all of this into account. Like I just couldn't fly and run around the dorm now because I had to take into account that one of my roommates could be coming out of the bathroom that was on crutches, and if I just knocked into him and he had fragile bones, I could hurt him. So it really started to make me think of other people, think of, you know, their needs beyond my needs and to consider them, even in things that we wanted to do. We wanted to play a game. We just couldn't exclude somebody just because they couldn't run and jump like like uh, like we could, just like we didn't want them to exclude us in school, you know, because we couldn't see, you know, like, oh, you can't play ball because you can't see, you know what I mean? So right. but even that, helped you. I was just going to say, even just, but it's weird because like you said, you're like eight and it's almost like you're living in a college dorm, but like you're, like you're so impressionable as a kid. So you're kind of like, but you're, you're taking it the good way because you're like a sponge. You're just picking up all these things that you have yet to learn, but you shouldn't have learned it yet because you're only eight years old. Right. So it's like, right. in I, a way, it's <laughs> it's a really good life experience to kind of take you down the road because, you know, again, look where you are now, but, you know, eight years old and you're going to pick up on a lot and you're going to remember a lot of it because it's, like I said, it's it's the first, you know, interaction you're having with, with anything, but especially with these other people that are so different from you um, and you were all, you know, I'm sure you were the one that was considered different in all your groups. 
And uh, so, yeah, that's pretty pretty interesting to be doing all that at, at eight years old. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, I, I tell my wife now, you know, I've told her like, since we've been together because there's times when things have come up and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, I can relate to that or this occurs. And she's like, how do you know? And I was like, well, I knew a kid back in the dorm and, this was, and he had this, he had that. You know, and there's other times I speak to other people and, and they're like, oh, you're just a know-it-all. You know, how could you possibly know that? And I was like, well, because I had, you know, I knew before I knew that it was like autism or it was like whatever. We had a kid that was in the dorm and if he got him upset, he would like, he could like, he had like superhuman strength where he would like punch these like thick, heavy, like 300 pounds like lockers and make them rock. You know, like I've seen this, you know what I mean? Like, and I've seen how they taught us how to infuse those type of temper situations or pe- one kid that was prone to biting, but for some reason he wouldn't bite me. So I would guide him from the cafeteria to the dorms back and forth because for some reason he was calm with me, even beyond other staff members. If he was upset that day, he would, me and he was totally nonverbal, and you know I still remember the kid's name. You know, like I'm like I've I've had all these life experiences that people wouldn't expect me to have, so I could I could speak on a lot of different things because I, I I've seen it. You know, and I keep just and then like a lot of the times things don't pop back into my head until something triggers it, mm-hmm. and then like a memory comes back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think everyone gets that kind of thing. You get a smell or a, or something. Yeah. Something you just go like, oh. Like there's, there's a cologne I still have that I think I wore back then. Just like as a kid, I just my mom got it for me. And I don't ever wear it, but every time I smell it, it's just like I get these little emotions of just like. It triggers oh. you. Yeah. yeah. You don't even really know exactly what it all is or what it all, like what all happened. But you, it just, there's a feeling you get. And you're just like, I don't know, but I felt good. It's like, all right, I right. like this. Because I used to tell her like, you know, I used to like think every day. I think they call them, they call them echolalics now. I never knew the term for it, but, you know, imagine eight, nine years old, you're sitting in the cafeteria for breakfast and all you're hearing, you know, around you are kids making noises, um, mocking the buzzer that we had for the bell. So they're going, eh, 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 going like that, or making like right. noises. And like, at you know, just learn to like sort of tune it out that's just your natural background you know like like to me that that was normal to me or people you know repeating whole conversations that they overheard between staff members in school the previous day or racist comments from their family members when they went home on the weekend you know what I mean like right. that's that's stuff that I would that I knew those type of people but now there's a term for it that I know now but I'm like yeah, I, I I went to school like that was my that, those are the people that I woke up with, went to breakfast with, and went to dinner with. <laughs> yeah, every day. You know, what I mean, like like that's and that too. Those are the last people I saw before I went to bed. You know, so it's like to me that's not strange. That's 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 normal. Yeah, well, that's why when people say like talking to people with disabilities, whatever, like, oh, you're not normal, but like. What, what really is normal? Because people's right. normalcy is much different from others. Like, that is your normalcy, but for most people, that isn't. Being being basically in a dorm and being, you know, being at school 
almost your, you know, whole, you know, existence at that point in time is, uh, that was your normal. But for most people, like their normal is to just, when the school bell goes up or it goes off, they go home. And that's right. It. And I would, I would have the most, there's one kid that sticks in my head. He was my same age. He would be considered on the spectrum, I guess. I'd be considered nonverbal. He could have general conversation if you ask him a question. But me and him got along because I would sit there and just talk with him. Um, he was one of the echolalics. I, I loved him because, I mean, you would sit there and he would repeat some of the announcements that went over the PA system. Um, he would repeat, like, you know, conversations between you know, his teachers and staff members and some of them were very interesting because I guess they thought because he wasn't nonverbal, they could say whatever they wanted in front of him, not knowing that he was remembering it and then would go later and repeat it verbatim and even put voices to it. But if you would sit there and like this, I would approach him as a person and say, hey, blah, 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 what, what's going on? And, and he was very intelligent. Like he could have a conversation. At this point, we were 13 and like, 12 and 13 so i've known him i've known him since i was eight years old mm-hmm. but we could have a conversation that other adults wasn't having with him because they thought that you know you know he was he wasn't as verbal or, or as smart i guess but at home when he was chilling out in the dorm and we were sitting at the table <laughs> you can have a conversation with me one-on-one and i still remember him to this day very vividly very vividly to this day. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, from that whole experience, that was maybe up through eighth grade, and and at that time, I attended OEC, so I had friends that were both blind and 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 sort of like, well, blind and fully sighted. While I was going to day school, I went to public school. But during all this time as well, I'm still balancing the life that I was living or coming from at home. So. I was going through some guilt at that time of sort of gotten out of the situation that the rest of my siblings, you know, were in. I was getting three meals a day when I know they weren't. You know, the older ones had left home. My younger brother was still there. So I was also taking in all of this new uh, sort of lifestyle of being exposed to disabilities and just people, but at the same time feeling guilty about leaving my my younger brother and just not so safe not you know that situation and me having a roof and a bed over my head and three meals. So I'm 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 balancing all of that at the same time as I'm going through changes. Right. Um, and a and a young mind at that. Just a young brain yeah. that's trying to function in this world and trying to figure out everything out for himself and but I think in the end, I mean, you look at where you are, look, at, I mean, I think that's probably what really made you as independent as you are because, you know, you were there for how long and you're a super independent person. Uh, we'll get to a lot of things you, you can do and can't do or whatever, but, you know, you're always a person I always consider you were like such an advantageous person. Like you just made everything work for you. And again, I'm sure there was, you know, again, you have your family stuff. There's a lot of pain and, and things you go through. You have a disability, so you most likely have some uh, you know, mental health and whatever, but you always seem to have everything, you know, like I've always knew that you, 
you know, whether it's clothing. It was like, well, how does he get dressed? You know, like, how does he know what he's wearing? It's like, oh, he has Braille labels on his shirts and things like that. And it's like, you always seem to like know what you were doing as far as just how to survive with, uh, the, the, you know, the lack of vision that you have. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was always interesting being around you because I would kind of, you know, be like a sponge off of you, figuring out, you know, how you do these things. And I have some vision. Um, but I would, you know, like I said, I would pretty much assume that uh, you going to that school for as long as you did and just, you know, basically kind of forced into independence. It's kind of molded you into how you, you know, became who you are. Yeah, that is that is definitely what did it. Sort of being put in that situation, sort of forged really what I am. I can say I didn't have a normal upbringing, so that upbringing definitely did make me that independent person that I am today. You know, mm-hmm. and even then, you know, I had the chance to like you know go back home or wherever I was like no I, I don't want to go back home you know I, I don't want to you know I don't want to be home and then be dependent on other people and things like that so right. you know when I I graduated and I went to high school and I came back to Philadelphia continue high school after I left 8th grade I went to I did a year at Lawrenceville Prep and after that I came back to Philadelphia I just wanted to be back around like my friends things like that and you know that that made me be more independent and and you know through, thanks to the grace of people like Ema or Miss Robbins as, as you know her right. sort of been sort of like that that underlying guiding force since I got to Overbrook see <clears throat> at the age of eight has really been um, that that main force that has helped me do everything that I could do. It wasn't for her there with support and everything that she did for me. I, I probably wouldn't have turned out. I know I wouldn't have turned out as well as as well as I've done now. Because being there, you know, I didn't have any family there. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a strong family structure to begin with at this point in time. And then being away in Philadelphia. I sort of isolated from that family structure. Although I went home on the weekends to my grandmother's house and come back, you know, I was being raised by staff members. You know what I mean, I was being raised by strangers. Right, right. Yeah. About that week, you know, I didn't have those, you know, those sort of things instilled in me that you get from your parents when you're home for seven, seven days. Yeah. So you know, Miss Robbins really, you know, she was there for me. You know, times. You know, she, she packed my packed my school lunches and things like that because I didn't like some of the things that they had for, for lunch during during the day. You know, so she was she was my mom. Yeah, no, she was my mom throughout all of those years. Yeah, I did an episode with her her couple weeks ago or about a month ago now. But I I mean I was never not going to do her episode, but um. You know, and I've told her over the years just how much she's meant to me over because if, if I didn't if I didn't have her, one, I was going to OSB um, for high school and I didn't believe in myself. A lot of teachers told me I didn't belong and I was never going to go to a good high school. And she, she you know, made some magic happen and got me in there. And um, But she believed in me when I never did. And, and, you know, people like that are so 
amazing to have in your life because, you know, everybody kind of just does, you know, what the narrative is. It's just like go by the book, you know, whether it's your teacher or your doctor or therapist or whatever. Um, but it's the people that kind of go above and beyond and actually give a shit and they, they look out for you and you didn't ask for it. Um, and part of the thing I've been doing in this like second year of doing this has been interviewing a lot of like parents and caregivers and, and just the people that just, you know, cause a lot of times the people with the disability get the most shine as far as when, you know, we're talking about this story and we don't ever really talk about the, the you know, the parents that are, you know, giving up their careers to take care of their 30 year old autistic child who needs their, their love and care every day. Um, or, you know, in this case, Miss Robbins, who, you know, is a mother figure to a lot of us. And she, you know, I showed her some of the, the feedback that she got from some of her former students. And she was just like, she didn't think she had that much of an impact. And I'm like, well, maybe you didn't think that to the average student, but there's some of us that you should know you had an impact on because you basically forced yourself into our lab. You just said, here, I'm helping you. You're, you know, you're going to succeed one way or another in a good way. And, you know, she, you know, again, I've said many times on here and to her that how much she's meant to me. And I know how much she's meant to you as well, because, you know, we're two of the people she really took under her wing and did so much for uh, without people like her. You know, yeah, like our existence or, or where we are in our lives would not as matter. It wouldn't be what it is and, and wouldn't be probably as positive as it is. Most definitely. Desperate times. I mean, she, she opened up her home to me. So I, I was able to stay there with her. Let's so come closer to the mic a little back, bit. You're a little low. You know. Times when I came back uh, during my high school years, you know, I was able to stay with her, you know, a couple of times when when I didn't want to go back home to that home environment where I was, where you know wasn't once again it wasn't a conducive home environment to be in, you right. know, um, and you know her and, and at that time I was playing sports again, so you know a few of my coaches opened up their homes for me. One of my close friends opened up his home for me, um, you know. So I, I, I had I've I've been lucky to have people that have cared for me, who have been able to sort of give me that, give me a place where I could stay in Philadelphia, so I can so I can continue to go to high school and I can continue to sort of get on that right path and not be stuck in Camden in a bad situation that probably wouldn't have worked out well for me right. at all a lot of people so know Camden I, is a very bad area for the most part but it's not that far from Philly um, and again there's plenty of bad areas in Philly as well but um, Philly's a lot bigger um, and there's a lot more opportunities um, especially medically and just schools and um, I mean, there's some stuff there in Camden but yeah I mean most most people don't really make it out of Camden easily correct so I, I've had a lot of people that have played a very important role in my life. Um, you know, the, the one coach that I mentioned, and I said it to him a couple of times, but again, don't feel like he's saying enough, but it's, you know, Jerry Daly um, opened up his home to me, and I was, I was able to stay there with, with him and his son and his grandmother and his, grand, and his grandfather, and, you know, I was able to, and therefore, two years or so um, wow. until I left to go to college. And, you know, it's just people like that that you can never thank enough. Right. 
and I don't think they would ever know how much they really do mean to you and what, what, what they've done for you. Right. You know, without people like that having that faith in you, um, you know, who knows where, <laughs> who knows where you would have ended up? Like, you don't even want to think about where you might have ended up. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't remember if you exactly said what age, but what age did you officially lose your sight? Officially lost it after all the treatment and stuff. I'm saying like maybe around age four, five. Okay. I had, at some point, I had some light perception. I remember walking down school hallway and seeing some light. I remember sitting on my porch and seeing like the police lights going down the street. So right. around that age, you know, I, I was pretty much totally blind once I started, you know, regular kindergarten. Right. Because so. I, I remember meeting you at OSB. Miss Robbins introduced me to him. We were both like so young. I, I vaguely remember you. But I was pretty sure because you, you had a cane and I was pretty sure you couldn't see then. But I, you yeah, know, yeah, I was so yeah. young. I don't know. Really, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, you know, crazy time. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it was so much going on because I, I got I went I got lost in the shuffle of just being transitioned over to OEC. And, you know, I, of course, I stayed with my mom and everything. So I didn't go through what you did probably would have helped me at least for a period of my life, but um, there wasn't really much of an option. But Miss Robbins wasn't a huge focal point in my life until, I mean, she was off and on here and there, but when she became my, like my fourth grade teacher and then became a vision itinerant the following year and then, you know, now she is what she is. But, um, yeah, like I said, back to what you were saying, like I said, it's just it's super important to have those people. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people don't have that. I mean, you know, look at, you know, the unstable household that you had, you know, it could have been better, could have been worse. But, I mean, there's people that just don't have even stable parents or stable friends or stable whatever. And then here, you know, people like you and I get lucky and we have these teachers and, and certain people that just, you know, they're not getting paid to do this stuff. That's not what they're, right. they're, they're paid to just, you know, in my case, she was my fourth grade teacher. She's paid to just teach me, you know, times tables and things like that. She's not. Yeah, at the time she was my reading teacher. I, I saw her maybe a few times a week for like an hour. You know, it yeah. was, I don't don't know why she, you know, wanted to help me because I, I, I was not, you know, I wasn't assigned to her as a, as a full-time student. You know, it was just, it was just fake. I, I, I don't know. And I, I haven't even sat the, I, I don't think I've even asked her like why, you know, cause. Yeah. I there, asked her why and for me and, and it, I don't know if I got the answer I wanted. She just, because I, I asked her, like, what she saw in me. And then she just, there's just certain people. I mean, she wasn't like that with everybody. I mean, she, she was always nice and kind and friendly, but. Right. And she's going to hate this because we're just, just saying nothing but nice things about her. But. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, she can't stand that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I told her, like, one time she, she was grading one of my papers and she gave me, like, a. It was like an A minus, or she was going to give me an A minus, but she said, you can do, there's one problem that you did wrong and you, you know what you did wrong. Go back and look at it. And then I went and saw what she meant and I did it and then I fixed it. And she gave me like an A plus, 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 plus. And I was, she knew it was going to make me happy. And I was so happy about it. I was showing everybody, all my friends. And, and it was just like, she didn't need to do that. All she had to do was just like, okay, you got one question wrong. You did well, good, you know, on to the next thing. But no, she like made sure that I knew what I did wrong. So she, she gives you like this great balance of like tough love and love at the same time because she knows if she's like yeah. overly loving, you're not going to. absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Absolutely right. You're not going to be able like, to accept it as well if she's just like always giving you hugs and shit. 
but you know. Yeah, I remember I would go there. It was like it was a bunch of it was three of us that would go there. It was one of our sort of mainstream classes. So me, my two other friends that were blind, and we would go there and we would be a part of the um, the sighted kids that were there at OEC and it was reading class. We had beanbags or whatever. So you know we would get there, and you know she wasn't necessarily like. Like you couldn't sit there and say, "Oh, she liked Paul better than this other person." Like if 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 anything, she yelled at me more. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So yeah, so if, if if anything, I got more of the focus. Like you, you know, you need to do this or you need to read, and she always made me read. You need to read, 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 yep. read this book. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> but coming from her, it, I didn't take it as being mean. I'm like no. this person cares about me, right? And like I didn't want to disappoint her. I could give two craps about my other teachers. You know, they want to yell and do this and do that. Right. Oh, you need to fix this math problem. I'm like, well, you're not teaching it to me, so I did, I did my best, whatever. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But with her, well, I got to get her assignment done first because I don't want to disappoint her. Because right. when she was disappointed, she you know, she wouldn't yell. She just yeah. had this tone. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, like, shit, yeah. I disappointed <laughs> her. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Why would you do that? You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Just some people just have that genuine heart and you can feel it because yeah, you don't want e- even when i acted out and whatever like i would yell at her i'd fight with her but i would never really curse at her in a way of just like you know calling her a bitch or whatever like i did that with other teachers and even teachers that didn't deserve it but right. i never did that there was always just like a respect thing where i was just like okay right. like, i mean i would again i would get out of line here and there I would curse and like when she was you know like i said with the osb conversation she's told me her and my mom basically got together you're going to osb or uh, flc you're not going to OSB. And I was like, oh, this is bullshit and whatever else. But I never just like belittled her and told her like how she's nothing to me. Like, cause I, I genuinely did love and care about her. But yeah, that whole disappointment thing that was just kind of way over your head when you knew you just didn't, you know, get up to the standards that she believed in you. And it was like, oh man, that hurts. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so what, what did you from like your, did you go, what did you do with high school? Like, how did you evolve so, from um, being eight, you know, an eight-year-old into, you know, being with all these roommates and so on? And how did you develop from there on out? So I went to Lawrenceville Prep, um, which is a private school in New Jersey, a top private school in New Jersey for, uh, for, uh, for high school. And again, you know, I would have never applied there, um, you know, because I didn't have the confidence in myself like I, you know, did in my education right because again i wasn't going home every day with a parent that was looking at my report card you know i would go home to the dorm and you know their whole thing was make sure we didn't kill each other or get hurt take us to dinner give us some whatever recreation we had or the schedule that they planned out get us to bed you know boom 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 make sure we did our homework they knew that we had a homework but no one's looking over my shoulder right. that's where ema or Miss Robin, you know, I would go there. I would go to her office or her, her classroom before school started because the kids in the dorm left for school earlier than I did, so I couldn't stay there. So I would go to her, and that's where I would sit there and she would make sure I had my homework done, or I would ask her questions about things that I've read, or there was like this big, huge globe outside of her classroom that I would just go and just like you know. Um, study and study and study until it was time for us to go, you know, go to class and then I would leave and then I would go 
go to my regular school. So um, I guess she recommended that I go there because, you know, she would, I guess she saw my grades and knew my potential. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't even see my report cards at the end of the year. My, my, I don't even think my family got them. No one mentioned them to me. I mean, I just felt disconnected. You didn't have my any IEP meetings? From my education. Um, I don't, I remember having them with myself being there, but no, nobody from my family, like no one from my family ever came across that bridge right. to see me when I was going to school. Gotcha. Parent night, I was the only kid there without, a, without parents, right? So some right. people from the dorms would come down, you know, so I'm going through all this alone, you know, which sort of like, sort of, sort of either scarred me now that I have like sort of a sort of a, a detachment from some of my family. Like I, I could go a year without speaking to some people in my family and not feel bad about it. And my wife was like, "Why don't you call this person? Call that person?" And I'm like, I think about them, but I had to build up a wall around me so much from a young age to survive that not being in contact with my family. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, I would have been depressed and I wouldn't have been able to survive. I've had to put up that wall of having to deal with separation. And it's something that I try to work on to this day of keeping in contact with people. I'll, I'll think every day about people. I'll think every day about my closest friends. But I just can't call. Right. It, you know? Yeah, because every time, I, honestly, like when we did some of those speaking to those colleges and stuff, and I always felt like you were very guarded. And again, I was also super awkward and shy, and so it didn't help. But I always felt like you were really guarded. I mean, when, when your wife I am would be very there. very guarded. Right. So when your wife was around, you were a little less guarded because you had someone to play off of. And, of course, Ms. Robbins is there, too. But I always, like, it wasn't that, like I said, I didn't take it personal. And I was also really young in high school. And, and so, but I always felt like you were guarded. Whereas, like, now I can hear you talking. You just, you're kind of just, like, letting it all out and whatever, which is good. I mean, I know you're doing it for a certain reason. Obviously, you're doing an interview. She should probably open up a little. But, you know, still, every time I was around you, like, I never took it personal, but I always was like, ah, he can tell. He's, like, very, very guarded. Yeah, and, and, and that's true. But, like, if the, if people will call me, I would, you know, or they're here. I'm very open. I'm a very open person. But I just, it's something that I, I'm going to have to deal with at some time. But that's that's something that an 8-year-old, 9-year-old had to do to survive Right, that time in his life, and it's sort of ongoing as well. Because again, I'm in Philadelphia; my family's in Camden. Right, I'm going, I'm seeing back and forth. I'm very close to to like my um, my sister Marcia. Like we're we're very close. I just saw her um, last weekend, um, and yeah, she was a chair yesterday. Um. So I'm, I'm very close to her, and and you know if they call me, I I can talk and whatever. But it's like, it. <laughs> my wife has this saying that even when 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 we were dating, she's like, she's like if I didn't call you, you wouldn't call me, would you? And I'm like, no, you're probably right. Like I could probably go three, four, five days without speaking to you. Right. And I was like, but it's not it's not that I don't like you. I was like, I don't like I just don't have to speak to everybody like every single day. Yeah. And like I I know it's. it's bad and it's wrong and I'm trying to work on it and it's my that's my that's my new year's resolution every year (laughs) be like a better communicator better engaged person with people that I care about and people that I know yeah and I try to work on it each year but it's it's hard to 
fall back into that safe. Well, you don't you don't realize how much your past really has a hold on you until like you get older and then you start to realize like, how much how damaged am I and like what because with you in your case right. like you went through uh, you know you basically were living partial like in a partial adulthood when you were a kid uh, and obviously you know all the struggles with your family and just obviously dealing with you know your disability and all that like there's so much again I'm sure you were learning uh, mobility and all these things that so you're trying to like learn how to adapt how to make you know a life for yourself and adapt to, you know, just a society that's not built for blind people, um, as an, as a kid. And now you're now slowly getting to the point where you're like, okay, I'm, you know, obviously you have a wife, you have a kid and you have, you have one or two kids, two kids, two kids, you have two kids. And, and, you know, again, like so you have so much, you have to like manage and, you know, you have a career and and everything you do. And, you know, it's gotta be hard to just like, you probably didn't have a lot of time to kind of decompress and just, realize what you were lacking because you didn't have time for it. You had to kind of keep a hard shell. And again, you're an eight year old trying to be an adult and you were kind of forced into it in a way, even though you wanted to go there, but you know, no eight year old should probably do what you did, but you managed to make it work for you. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's one of the, we all have things that we, especially when we've had really rough past that, uh, you know, it's stuff that just carries with us. And it's just, you know, with me, I'm very socially awkward sometimes, even though I'm more, you know, you would say like, oh, you now you speak and you do all these things for a living and all that. And it's like, yeah, I do. But there's times where it's just like I go to my friend's house and I shut down and I, I don't want, you know, there's 30 people in a room and I get mad at myself. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, you, yeah, that, that's me, man. I, I could sit there and I'm just, there within me but it's also i'm also observing everything that's going on around me. right i've yeah, always yeah. had to do that as well like i've been in these rooms i just had to observe like you know i'm i'm soaking it all in and they come like why are you so quiet i was like i'm actually not quiet in my head i'm switched on i know everything that's going on in this room like i know right. that person that person that person left yeah. that person's come in you know what i mean Cause, and a lot of it again is being able to survive out there in the streets as a blind person you have to be switched on right and i should tell people like when i step out of my door i have to be switched on you know like exactly. i was living alone i was like i have to be switched on i don't know if someone's gonna try to rob me because they see a cane in my hand you know what i mean i gotta be aware of like there's a car that's out of control coming up from behind like i can't see it you know what i mean i don't know if there's drama happening down the block people are fighting there's gonna be gunshots like i i I can't be blissfully yeah. unaware when I step out of my door. The only time I get the rest is when I put my foot back in my door and I lock it and I know there's no one else in here with me that's trying to hurt me. Then I can relax. Right. But for any blind person, a person with a disability, like as soon as we leave our house, we have to switch on because we've been trained through mobility. We gotta like, you know, if, if we're traveling to a destination, we got to have it already mapped out in our head, landmarks, and hope to God there's no, like, construction or detours. You know what I mean? Like, it's right. it's a lot for us to do. What's what's it like Not being illegal. What's it like being blind in a, in a huge city like Philadelphia? Uh, when I was growing up there, it, it was sort of good and sort of bad in a sense. Bad in the sense of, like, you always have to be switched on, right? And it's a huge city. Right. So distances to get to things. But Philadelphia is a good city because there's a lot of transportation. You know, there's a bus almost on every damn street. 
Um, the transportation has gotten much better than it was when I was there. Everybody talks now, basically. Right. The L talks, you know, the, you know, but you could get around and there were streets and you can learn it. And that's where I learned my mobility was in Philadelphia. But just some of the places that I had to live while I was there sometimes. I lived in North Philadelphia. I lived in West Philadelphia with the friends and things like that. And places where I'd been, you know, you had to be switched on, you know. Um, I was robbed there. You know, I, I was robbed in, in, in Philadelphia. That was the one night that I wasn't switched on. You know what I mean? Like, it shouldn't have happened. We shouldn't have put ourselves in that in that type of situation for it to occur, we could have gotten out of it, but you know, you let your guard down for one night and that's what, that's what happened. But, right. you know, um, but yeah, I, I think Philadelphia is, is, is a good city to be in. If you are, um, a blind person, I, I actually just came back from visiting there again for a week, um, this past week got to go down Market Street again and there's like talking like you know like the audible lights are there I'm like wow I wish I'd have had this when I was here you know what I mean right. um, well and technology is different it, too yeah yeah you know what I mean I'm like they have like that app like Blind Square which is a GPS and like there's a lot of stuff out there that can also help you get through your life beyond just having a cane right so I'm like if, if there was a city that I would go back to I, I, I miss Philadelphia I hope to get back there, um, but I would. I had to live in a huge city. It would either be Philadelphia or again, it would be New York, where there, you know, where you have that transportation system. Or if you're in an area, everything that you need is in a couple of block radius of you. You know, you can come out of your apartment or whatever and get to a coffee right. shop or get to a whatever, get to a subway stop without having to like. Where I am now, I don't like it because it's not really any transportation options up here. It's like one bus line down the street, but it only takes you like three doesn't take you anywhere. It goes like down like one main street, right? To like a mall somewhere, but it's nothing to really walk to. Can't get to anything good. It's more residential. Yeah. You know, it's it's not it's not ideal for for a blind person. One of the reasons I ask is like recently, uh, my my sister's father, you know, he and I are still in, we're close, and uh, you know, he was talking to me. We we're just on the phone, just keep, you know, catching up, and he was saying that he was, he does some things where he he uh, goes to hospitals and grabs these containers and whatever. And I guess he was down at by Will's Eye, and he saw a bus driver dropped off a blind guy. He dropped him off in the middle of the street and just drove off. Um, and again, again, everybody has bad and good instances with the you know bus company and transportation um but there's a lot of things like that that happen uh with people like you and i and and you know the lack of like care and again there's some really great bus drivers and you know, really caring people out there that don't do those kinds of things um but again that that's kind of like the the opposite of what you're saying as far as there's there's a lot of blind people that get screwed over too where it's just like obviously the, the clear thing is not to do is just to leave them in the middle of the road um oh yeah and I, I mean, yeah. I, I hate that even with, you say, even with like uh, Uber, right? Coming home, I give them clear, like, it's a house with this colored awning full front of the driveway. And they let me, like, three houses down. And I'm like, God damn it. 
<laughs> so to the point where like I've gotten like a tile, you know, one of those little beefy tile things, and I put it on the house. Right. So when I get out of the car, I can activate it because I know that the dumbass is not going to leave me right in front of the damn address. You know, even I give them the address, it's like, you know, they leave me two houses up or throwing it down. I'm like, come on, like, like I'm paying you. Just, just, just pull up here in front of the driveway and just let me out. Right. And for the most part, some of them get it, but you just have those that just don't care or you're trying to get one and you're like, I'm standing right in front of the doctor's office, blah, 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 blah. I have a leather jacket, I have a cane, and I'm the only one standing here by the curve leaning against his pole. I don't see you. There's no way you can't see me. I was like, <laughs> and then lo and behold, like someone's walking by, I was like, do you see this certain car? Like, yeah, he's up there at the corner. I'm like, you need to come down here and pick me up. I'm here at the car. I was like, look, I can't see. I'm not walking to try to come find you. You're right. driving. Come down here and find me. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, right. like, come on, dude. Like, don't make my life more difficult than it has to be, right? Like, right. don't, well, don't make it more difficult. You're a dark-skinned man in broad daylight next to a giant yeah. pole. Like, there's, yeah, it. That's that's the stuff that you that I've talked about many times where there's a lot of these people that do these specific jobs, whether it's Uber or bus or whatever, and they want to get paid, you know, 60, 70 grand a year, but they're getting paid 30 grand. So they're like, well, I'm only getting paid to, you know, pull up to this curb. I'm not going to give you another $10,000 worth of effort. Um, right. And so those are the people that really make our jobs harder. And then there are people, you know, like I have another friend named Paul who he became close with his bus driver and the bus driver drops him off. He, he goes by the stop, which is about a block away, and he drives him and drops him off right in front of his house. He doesn't do that for everyone else. He just does it just for him because he knows he's blind and he, you know, it's a struggle to get across this really big street. Um, right. And stuff like that is just amazing because it's like that's, again, and we don't, you don't have to expect that from everybody, but it's just, you know, work with me here. And especially in your case, you know, you're right. totally blind. Like, come on, give me, you know, give me the benefit. Of, you know, just help me out. I'm right here. Right. You come get me. Right. And, and there's like, there's, there's been awesome Uber drivers, you know, that I, you know, that I've had or even like cab drivers that I've had that have, you know, come up and, you know, have, have offered to take me to my door. I'm like, no, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, you know, here is good. You know, I just need to get to the, you know, sort of the driveway or whatever, or right in front of the house and I can get the rest of the way. But those are the people that I then go and tip. Cause I'm like, this, this person went above and beyond. There's one time I was taking my daughter to the hospital. She had an allergic reaction. She had to call Uber and, driver came he got us there as fast as possible and i got out of the thing out of the car with my daughter i'm going into the emergency room so i'm figuring you know once i get inside i can you know get some help getting her to wherever we have to go right but he actually because the security guard was like yeah the children's uh ward is down that way right down that way so you, you mean yeah. down that way he's like yeah down that hallway yeah uh you'll see the room those are words that visually impaired and blind people hate when they, yeah. they point, and even I, for me, I can see some, and they did that to me and my friend Julie the other day. We were at a uh, little market for like vegetables and stuff, and we we were asking where the potatoes were, and he, he goes over that way, and me and Julia just look at each other like, "Oh God, here we go." <laughs> we just know. <laughs> so I'm like holding the cane. I'm like, okay, dude, I bought the cane so you so people know that I'm fine. I'm a little bit of a I've never been to this hospital before. So I turned down there with her. You know, she's breaking out in hives. I'm like, 
I'll, I'll walk down that way and hopefully I'll hear some sound coming out of a room or if I hear somebody, I'll just turn to her and say, where's the emergency room for children, right? You know, as, as we do, we, we adapt. We hit one obstacle, we're like, okay, yep. got one clue this way. So gotcha. then lo and behold, I hear a voice behind me. He's like, here, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm your Uber driver. Come on this way. And he gets us in there and gets us, you know, to the desk. And I'm like, he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he didn't have to get out of his car. He didn't have to come in to make sure that he got there, you know, and, and, and was seated. I'm like, people like that should be recognized as, as good people going above and beyond. And it should, you yeah. know, beyond that five-star rating and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I try to leave a comment on there, but I don't know if anybody reads those, but right. I mean, he should have gotten some, some accolades for that because he got us there quickly, yeah. safely and quickly, and helped me get to where I needed to be. Yeah, because even if he didn't do it for you because you were blind, he just did it for your child. Like, it's still something. Right. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, you know, he did it for both, right. but it's, yeah, that stuff is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can you tell us like some of the things you do just to kind of make life easier for you? Like I was saying earlier about how you use, uh, I'm pretty sure I wasn't mistaken about this, but the, you know, the braille labels on your clothing. So, you know, like, uh, you know, what color and what kind of clothes you're wearing, like just certain things you do for just to make your life easier. Well, I'm a big technology guy. So I, I fully adapted technology. I've always been interested in it since, my days at Overbrook High School, we first started using JAWS right. um, and, and, and computers. Uh, they really gave us, like, well, way before then, even, like, with the Braille light and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, being blind and being vision impaired, we always had some kind of technology around us. So, you know, we were sort of more versed to adapting to things. Mm. But I love the Internet. I love the computers. I would surf the Internet all day at school. So... My daily life now, I, I use a lot of technology to different apps. Well, the one that that you mentioned, like Foursquare, CNI GPS, CNAI, I use a lot for colors and things like that. Um, I had curls while for a long time using that to scan material. But now I just use some apps on my phone to do that as well. And then there's just different things that you adapt to. Um, like the biggest thing we really had to adapt to like when we had our first kid and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of stuff out there for blind parents with sighted children all the things that you see is usually sighted parents with blind children the flip because i guess we're not supposed to have children there's not a lot that's out there for us yeah so we would have to so let's say we knew we were going to have to give medicine so we would get someone to help us at first like with the syringes that she was going to need three millimeters of medication. That was her dosage for like common things like Tylenol and such things. We would pull three millimeters and then notch it with a knife so we knew where the three millimeter mark was or a piece of tape, you know, on that inside of the syringe, you know, the plunger that, that comes out. Yeah. So you would, when it got, yeah, you mark it there. Um, and anytime we got medicine from the doctor for her, like if it was like syringe or like and antibiotics we would do the same same type of thing it got easier when the doses came to five because those syringes come in five ten fifteen stuff like that uh-huh. um but in the beginning you sort of have to adapt and, and do 
things like that. So low-tech things solve high-tech problems. Um, so we do things like that. Um, I still use Braille a lot. So I will Braille and label things. I'll label like um, certain bottles that I need quick access to that I don't like always having to whip out my phone and see what it is. Um, I'll put Braille on that. I'll put dots on the microwave that we used to have. Now I have one that's um, to Alexa. Um, I can talk to it now. But even then, I'll still put like some real labels on it just in case it, it, Alexa isn't working. Still, still use it. I start. Uh, I try to find air conditioners now. I have one that runs to Alexa, so I try to leverage yeah, the technology that's too. out there now. Yeah, it's sort of not have to go through that. But even then, those buttons that are on there, I try to label some of the important ones like off and on, just in case technology, you know, Alexa goes down or yeah, the connects, I can at least do some minor things on it, not totally left left in the lurch. Right. Um, and for our kids' clothes, we used to, they had uniforms, and so we used to have to have certain uniforms for, for each one, so I would put like a staple inside of the collar, not the collar, but the label that's inside of the shirt. Uh-huh. Like, you know, for one of my daughters, it was a certain color. I would, like put it deep somewhere where, you know, irritate or whatever, tie that in there so we feel that, okay, that, that shirt. Um, trying to think, because so grained into you that you don't even like remember what you're doing to do it, but. Yeah, it's like it's like little stuff like that, and we we try our best not to rely on our kids. They're both sided. Um, worst thing that probably could have happened to me, and my wife. We're at this event, sporting event for all blind people. This is a goalball event. Can you explain what goalball is before you do that? A lot of people. Yeah, goalball is. Yeah, goalball is a sport for the blind. It was, I think it was developed either World War One or World War Two for the soldiers that were coming back from the war that were blinded by the war. So it's a ball with a bell in it, about the size of a basketball, but a bit heavier than that. Um, and there's three people on a side at per team at a given time, but a team can have much as maybe six to nine players for substitutes and things like that. And the court is about the size of a basketball court. And all the lines and markings and positions on the court are laid down with tape with rope underneath it so you can tactically feel your position and the boundaries of the court. Right. Um, and you're, everyone's blindfolded regardless whether you can see or not. You don't have to be totally blind to play. But you have right. to be blindfolded to play. And you're restricted within a certain area. Each team is restricted in a certain side sort of like tennis you can't cross that net you know yeah um so the optics of the game is to roll or bounce the ball and it has to be out of your hand by a certain point or considered what's called a high ball or and that results in a penalty you you have to release it before a certain point and roll it or bounce it down towards the other team and they have to dive or block it whichever way that that they want Stop it from going into the net that's situated behind, right. um, behind. Kind of soccerish, right? And each team is each each goal is is one point. 
and there's been some variations for time and versus like when the time when the shot you know you got a shot clock now when I started early there was like an eight second clock that you had to release the ball by eight seconds so there's been some variations like when that eight second clock started right before it was like when you bought the ball totally under control but now it's like as soon as it hits one of your players on your side your eight second clock now starts and there's you know little tweaks here and there but the overall principle is is, is that go as hard as you can but it has to be on the ground right as it touched the ground before that 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 high ball line yeah what you there's like a baseball version too. It was called yeah. beat ball, I think. And there's beat ball, yeah, I played that as well. Um, a pitcher and catcher are on your team, and their goal is to try to get their team to hit the ball. So you go to a cadence, ready, set, and then so when he says set, he he or she is usually throwing the ball at that point. Cause we had a girl pitcher. Sorry, not a girl pitcher. I'm very sorry. I have two girls. I should know better. She's a woman. <laughs> <Poor woman. laughs> she wasn't a girl. She was a woman pitcher um and you know so she would say set and when she said pitch the ball should already be coming across our sweet zone and she would you know um she would know you know where each batter's bat is going to be and that comes from practice and practice so we had a we had a guy pitcher and and a woman pitcher um during our team and hit the ball and the other team has to feel the ball and pick it up cleanly under control off of the ground before the batter reaches one of two bases. So you only have a third base and a first base, and it's random. The umpire or the table picks which base you go to. Right. So at any given time, you could go to third base or you go to first base. You had to reach that base, touch it before they pick up cleanly feel the ball. And the base is like beep, right? They make noises so you know yeah. they're Yeah, they're beep. They're round cylinders set on top of like a square foam Right. box that has the beeper in it and they're foam so you can smash them, tackle them, do whatever you want to them, kick them as hard as you can because we're flying down there towards these things and trying to touch them before they pick that ball up. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. So um, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. Um, I used to play it but um, I, I sort of sort of wanted it to be more like baseball where we got to go around the bases and some people have been trying to introduce something like that I didn't get to see the demo of it because I didn't attend that 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 demo. But it's, I think they call it Italian baseball or something like that. But they actually try to have you circle the bases and things like that. Right. Um. But you know, it, it was it's it's a great time to bond with with fellow blind and visually impaired people out there in the heat. Oh, and you have two spotters. Well, we have sighted spotters that are out there on the field with you. We had two. Two very lovely, um, kind college kids at well, high school kids at, at that time. Two twins um, that were there, two, two twin sisters that were there, and they were very good spotters. And usually try to divide the field into numbers, like one, two, five, or one, two, six. You know, whichever way each team wants to do it. Right. So when the ball's hit in a certain area, they'll just yell out that number, and they can only say like that syllable or you know, one word. They can't say, ball's over there, go run towards it. You know what I mean? So, right. you know, they say one, and if they say one, it means that it's up in the air. Or one means that it's coming to you quickly. So, like, again, each team has their own thing that they do, but that's sort of like the underlying rules of the spotter. You can only say, like, one, one word or so. 
right. as giving you a clue where, where the ball is. And come closer to the mic a little bit. And they try to stop us from running into each other, but we're usually spaced out enough that right. you don't. Um, I play the outfield for the most part, um, but I, I was able to move around the different parts. But being a good friend of mine, Sherlock, who's a Jersey legend in sports himself, is um, play out there with me as well. And I, I played on a team that he uh, started here in in New Jersey. Sherlock's a big guy, he's like six, he's called six, seven, he's probably like six, five, six, 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 seven. I, I met him during my goal ball days um, to play for Jersey when I played for Papa, which was Philadelphia team. Um, so another another good influencer, role model on, on me as well. He's a Jersey business guy. He does, you know, he does uh, the technology, you know, he's a job vendor and other technology tools for people here in New Jersey. Right. So I, I played for his team. Oh, cool. Um, you were going to talk about an incident you had at a Go Ball event? Yeah. So we're walking with, with my two kids and my wife and I and another lady who was a parent of another player that was there. She was recently paired and married to a friend of mine, a friend of ours. We went to the sense of like, I'm not going to quote word for word because I can't remember it word for word. But it was something in the sense of like, like, why aren't you using your kids? I think we're looking for the bathroom or something like that. And like, kids aren't guide dogs. You know what I mean? Like, we didn't have kids to, to guide us around. You know what I mean? Like, so we, we consciously try not to depend on them for things. Now, I was going to ask you if you guys did that ever, like you used them to help you see right. things. Now, it's, it's impossible not to because there's sometimes like, well, you know, read this letter or come here. This computer is not working. We need to file your application for this. It's not accessible. Click on that checkbox. You know, because at the same time, we're also teaching them about disability and about the barriers that we have to face and to keep in consideration. And, you know, also, just just giving them a, a wide education on 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 people that are out there and the disabilities that that other people have, and, you know, so they're aware of us being blind. Right. But again, you know, it's not like they're doing every single thing for us. And there's even things that we say, no, don't worry about it. I'll do it. But yeah, but you know we can get it done. I was like, no, I, I have a way to get it done. It might take me a bit longer, but I'm I'm gonna I'll, I'll just use my phone and, and try to try to get what I need off of. Well, you want to be off role models to them as well. You don't want them to think right. like, oh, everything's handed to you. You get older, and it's like, oh, well, mommy and daddy just sat around and just made us do everything. They didn't do right. nothing, you know. So, and that's not who you are anyway. So, yeah, it'd be kind of right. silly to start now. Right. So we do that, and like, you know, like uh, when we go out, you know. We, we walk with them and things like that, but yeah, we tell them like, you know, we're not walking with you because we need you to sort of like, you know, guide us. Because even like now, like we're in the hotel and like they'll come out the elevator, and I'm like, okay, go ahead, and they're reaching back to grab me. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. Like, like you don't have to grab me. You know, I'm good. 
but it's you know but it's more it's more like the reason why we're holding you now that we're out and about is for safety right because we don't want somebody to come and snatch you like we, we we just heard it here in new york maybe like a week or so ago lady walking with her three kids and the guy gets out of a car and runs and grabs the youngest one and jumps back in the car and they have to like run and dive through the window and try to pull them back out and i'm like we think of that stuff so imagine if we're walking and we're holding canes and they're like oh that's two blind people with two kids they won't know we come and snatch one right so uh, we're we're holding you more so we know where you are right, right? <laughs> so nobody can come up and just grab you away from us it'd be like our worst nightmare you know what i mean so there's there's, right. there's strategic things that we do when we're out places like you know when we used to go to stores i would position myself in the aisle a certain way that if anybody came down that particular aisle they would have to go by me right. or if they came from the other aisle and they needed they would grab one of my kids i i'm still in between them and the exit of that store of the toys that we that we would always go to I knew, like, okay, I can let them feel free here. I don't have to be on them. Let them wander up and down these aisles because if anybody grabbed them to get out of this section, I'd only have to take two steps and turn a corner and they're blocked, right? Right. So I felt comfortable there because I had a control of my space. Right. And that's what I tend to do when we go out. And I make sure that I have control of the space. And if I can't have control of the space, then we're stuck to them like glue and let them know like this is the reason why we're doing it we're you know mommy and daddy are perfectly fine walking on our own i can whip my cane out at any time and get to where we need to get to you know but this is this is for your safety because there's bad people out here that will try to take advantage of of right. our situation is it is it i'm pretty sure miss robbins told me that. is it true that you guys to to find them when they were really young you put bells on their shoes we used to um, we would put bells on their shoes. We always had this sort of like they always knew just to like speak up for us. Okay. Um, especially like when we're out, they would always you know, Daddy, I'm here, or you know, blah blah blah. Um, we we looked into different like locator type of things, but we never found anything that was really going to work back then, you know, that, that would play a beep or something like that. We, we bought something like this in case they got too far away and we maybe trigger it, but we never had to really use it. Mm. Um, you know, like in that sense, but yeah, like, you know, we, we never really let them get like, extremely too far down out of the way. Well, if we did, again, it was an area that that we could control. Um, my wife was much more nervous, you know, than I was. I'm like, look, they're both together. They're here in, like, our version of the Franklin Institute. They're doing the rope course. We're sitting right next to the exit. You know what I mean? Like, right. our kids know, like, make noise. You know what I mean? Like, if anything happening, make noise. So, you know, well, we, um... we try to get... Go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. They might try to get them out of here. Like they're gonna have to go by us. You know, there's no way that they're quietly going by us with our struggling kid. Right, right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, um, you've mentioned her multiple times, obviously. So, what is it like to actually meet your soulmate, and she's also blind, and then you know, being blind parents on top of it? Yeah. So I happened to meet her at a 
college preparation program, summer program thing that the Commission for the Blind put on here in New Jersey. Um, I was, I happened to be home for that summer, didn't really have anything to do, and I was bored. Um, so I went to a first program, which is like at another place, and I met some friends there. And then we all decided that we're going to try to go to this to this college program the you know the following summer. Like okay, that's something to look forward to. So we're there. Um, I didn't even meet her the first week I was there. I, I didn't know her at all. But we had done this thing in one of our classes. It was a trust fall type of thing when you got behind the person and, and you lean, they lean backwards and you catch them. You know. Me and my friends had done that that morning. So in the afternoon, we would all just hang out outside of the dorm. And let me back up by saying that this program took place on an actual college campus. So it was to give high school visually impaired people sort of a preparation for college. If they wanted to go to college, what it would be like. We stayed on the grounds of the university in the dorm. We ate at the cafeteria. There were other camps there as well. There was a girls' soccer team that was always there and some other people that were there. Um, and during the day, we would we would have college classes. We had SAT prep. We would have math, um, you know, English, all different types of college preparation courses. So in the afternoon, we were before dinner, and, and you know, we would all just hang out in our different little groups and stuff like that. And I was always known for sticking to spots on this ramp, it was like a wheelchair ramp up the side and up the first and then did like a U-turn and went back up the other way. And I would always just lay out there going back to my guarded solitude type of, <laughs> yeah. type of demeanor, TJ. I would lay out there by myself on this railing, like, you know, because it made like a little double railing, like right at the bend. Uh-huh. I would lay there with my jacket and I would just listen to the quiet and the airplanes going over. Again, coming from Camden, it was noisy, right? I'm like amazed by right. just the solitude here. I would sit there and just think, right? Whatever was going through my my dark little mind, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking by myself. So my friends came down there and heard us all hanging out in that little general landing area. And then something just hit me. Like, I'm going to see who wants to do the trust fall with me. So I get up. You know, cause, and, 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 and again, like you said, it's not that you weren't open and friendly. It wasn't I was open and friendly. I was usually a very outgoing person, but, you know, I never really needed to be the center of attention. You know, I was never one of those people like, hey, look at me, look at me, but if i cool with you or that, whatever, I, mean, I could be that. I, I could switch it off and on. I went down in front of everybody that was out there in this little grassy area, and I was like, who wants to do the trust fall? And she happened to be sitting there on the steps in front of me, but she was talking to this other guy. Well, the guy was trying to talk to her. And lo and behold, she didn't like that guy. I didn't want to talk to him. So she uses that opportunity to say, I do, right? Just to get away from him. <laughs> so she comes over and, you know, so I'm talking. And so she turns around. And, you know, being blind, we don't have that luxury of looking across the room and that pretty girl, I'm like, oh man, I want to go talk to her. Right, right. It, all, it almost has to be like you can't lock I'm eyes and the music plays and all that right. bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's not our life. So, you know, you don't have to introduce us, or you get involved with them some type of close way. So, what she says, she does. So she comes over, she turns her back to me, and then she falls back into my arms, and it's this little petite girl 
you know, she has, you know, she's small, but she has, like, you know, shape to her, and she has this long, gorgeous hair. And she's in my arms, I'm like, it's that awkward, like, moment, like, the two seconds that I'm still holding her, and she's like, yeah. and then, like, Is it over? Like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm like, okay, cool, nice, thank you. And I walk away. <laughs> yeah. That, right? So, like, even then, I go to my friend, and I'm just like, whatever, but now the girls that, that I was hanging out with then, I guess, saw it. And they went to her and was like, you know, you should really you know, talk to our friend Paul or whatever. At the same time, it was this other girl that I didn't like, but she liked me. So she was also, like, pursuing me or trying to talk to me. And another friend of ours was trying to hook me up with her. And I was, just really wasn't having it. And she was interrupting my solitude moment at the railing oh, one shit. time. And then they bring my wife Jessica out and send her down there. And I just really just start talking to her. And then at that point in time, we were just like friends. You know, we all started hanging out. The both we started hanging out together. And you know, we sort of dated during that time. But then you know, we you know we went back to our prospective cities. She was Jersey City. I was in Philadelphia. You know, she didn't see how it was going to work, being long distance. And this time I was staying at, at uh, Miss Robin's house, and I made her a tape of, like, you know, this is where I'm living at now, blah, 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 blah. And she still claims that she has this tape somewhere. I hope she doesn't. But um, we, we tried to keep in contact. We had mutual friends. We played goal ball if I would see her, like, at some of these tournaments. But I went ahead and had got another girlfriend when I came to uh, Overbrook for, for high school. So the next summer I went back because I had promised I would stay in contact, but my other girlfriend did not want me to stay in contact with her. So I was between a rock and a hard place. Right. So when we went, when I went back there that summer, she was not very happy with me. We did not have a very good start during that during that first two weeks. And I ended up smashing the ice cream cone in her face because she was saying some mean things to me. And then she dumped the juice on my head in retaliation. And then we started talking again. Like it's This right. is such a rom-com movie. <laughs> this is like got everything. <laughs> you got the part where you fall apart and then you, you meet back up again. You're even basically making mixtapes, except it's visually impaired right. mixtapes where you're saying what you're doing right. with your life instead of making yeah. songs. <laughs> so then, you know, that, that, so we stay in contact throughout like, college a little bit. And then I, I went to go study abroad. I called her over there. She didn't have the time of day for me. She was going to homecoming, blah, 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 blah. She said it wasn't that. She just was running out at that time when I called her. I didn't call her the whole rest of the time I was there. But when I got back, I was sort of having some trouble adapting to being back. You know what I mean, like, I liked being over there. So I called her. We started talking again. And then we started dating then. Um, and hanging out that summer. And we started dating and then got engaged and then and then we got married and then I moved up here um, for other reasons that I won't go into here <laughs> um, and then we, we first you know when we were first talking we were dating she wasn't sure she would want to have kids because she was afraid you know how she would take care of them and things like that but I told her like I've, I've had little brothers and stuff like that before so I was used to changing diapers and things like that and taking care of little kids so I was like, it's pretty nothing to it. You know, I'm, I'm there. We, we can we figure it out. 
Right. And I think a parent would have that even if the other parent would, would have been sighted. But the fact that you're both right. blind on top of it, it, it it's a whole different, and there's a bunch more obstacles that the average person or couple wouldn't have to deal with. Right. So we talked about all that. And again, we went looking for resources. And that's where we realized that all the resources out there are for sighted parents with blind children. And nothing was really out there for blind people with sighted, you know. We had to try to find talking thermometers. We found one, right, out of all these other options. We found one. You know, we tried to think about things that we would need to help us take care of our child. Oh, but before you go, did, did you ever, because, you know, every parent, you know, especially moms, they have, like, guilt of, you know, can I pass this on to my kids? So did you think two blind parents could actually have blind children? Yes, we had that as well. So we were, because my, my genetic my retinoblastoma, we had to see whether it was hereditary or whether it was environmental. And there was a test we could do. So we got it done after we had our first child. Um, so I had to go get a blood test. We found the, we found the geneticist and we got me tested and they couldn't do our first daughter yet until she was born. So they wouldn't know whether she had retinoblastoma until she was born. So she she was born and we got her tested. It turned out that the one that I had was a 50-50 chance, right? It wasn't the one that wasn't, you know, 50-50. Like, okay, so as soon as she was born, you know, we, along with the pediatrician, she had an eye doctor right out of the bat. We didn't see anything. We got her tested. She did not have the gene. So we're like, okay, good. All right? So that, we, we passed that hurdle. That was good. You know, but we all, you know, we also keep her, keep them with, with eye doctors. Just, just as a general principle of of their general overall health. The same thing with like hearing and stuff like that. So when we were planning on having a second kid, we had to make the decision again. Like, we want a second kid, but do we take that chance? Do we take that fifty chance of of passing it on? And I had, you know, a lot of guilt around that. It would be because of me. But then we're like, well. But best people to have a blind kid would be for two blind people. We would be able to help them and get them through. That wouldn't be the worst thing. But then we're like, but look how hard like life is. You know what I mean? Is that fair to put that you know burden on on a kid? You know what I mean? We're like, well, technology's gotten better. You know, so all that's going through your head. Right. So we we decide to go for it, and then we, we had our second one, and we had her go through the same genetic testing. She's also negative. So we're like, okay, at that point, God blessed us with two kids without any type of visual impairment with a 50-50 odd. We're not going to test fate anymore. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. those are good odds. Let's not push it with three, you know? Right, yeah. And, you know, so we made a conscious decision not, not to go forward with the third. And, and again, you know, it was like how much of of a of a guilt or would I feel? You know what I mean? And yeah. some people might say, Well, why would you feel guilty? You know, you're blind and, and, and you've done well for yourself. But as you said and as you know, T J yeah, you might be doing good and doing whatever, but it comes at a heavy cost. It comes at a heavy mental cost. Yeah. It's a mental thing that we're constantly dealing with. So you know, it's not not an easy life. It's not not an easy thing to 
deal with, especially when you hit barriers in your life and it's called by society. Right. And there are barriers there that shouldn't have to be there. Like you asking where the potatoes is, all that guy had to do was like, the potatoes are right this way, follow me, please. And right. that would have made your something very simple made would have made that a better experience. Right. Well, and you make it look good. Like you, you don't make blindness look bad. But what right. people don't see is on the survey, you know, that's one of the new things that has developed in the last so many years is all these like invisible disabilities. You know, and one right. of them is obviously mental health. And a lot of people, you, you could be, you know, me, I kind of wear my emotions on my sleeve so people know when I'm kind of affected. But there's a lot of people that can hide it and they can just go live their life and dilly dally around and smile. And deep down, they may be suicidal. They're just, you know, they know how to hide it. Uh, you know, right. and with you, it's like, yeah, like you make blindness look really fun and easy, but it's not. And it's just it's not because I I right. know how to hide it. You know what I mean? And right. a lot of times, of my whiteness and my my things that I'm shutting down is because I'm I've been through a lot that week. You know what I mean? So I'm like, right. I just don't want to deal with the world. Like I, I want to sit here where I am, where I've made it, where it's safe for me, and I can I can be switched off. Right. Like just sometimes we just need to be switched off. Absolutely, but how much e- how much easier though is it that you have another person that's exactly like you, but also appreciate <clears throat> also appreciates you and loves you and you know goes to the same circumstances and it's like not only can she be there for you as a parent, you know as the other parent take some load off you, but you know emotionally she can be there for you because she knows exactly what you're going through. Yeah, it's it's it, it's good in some ways. But even then, her, her upbringing was different from mine. Okay. So right. where I was thrown more to the streets and had to be take, like, you know, she was, I call her a car baby. She she had a different upbringing than I am. Right. You know, she was, you know, she always had a car. She always, you know, was driven around. Like, you know, her ex, her ex you know, um, exposure to public transportation came when she started, you know, hanging out with me making her come down to Philadelphia to hang out with us. I mean, we having her walk around the city and jumping on and off of buses and taking the train back home. You know, so that was sort of like an exposure to her. She was more sheltered than I was. Um, right. But that's kind of know, the balance. That's probably her. what makes the relationship yeah. good. Maybe she brings a little more book right. smart. You bring more street smart. You both have kind right. of both, but, you know, you kind of, again, I think a lot of people think and you need to have everything in common when you get into a relationship. But no, definitely not. You don't. That's what kind of makes it bad if you, you're just dating yourself at that point. If I could date it myself, I would know. Well, yeah, you wouldn't be talking to them. <laughs> not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't even not call them. Thing, you'd, just right. be in a, you'd probably be in a room over and you wouldn't even conversate. Right, because I, I thought I even told her, you know, when I was dating, I told her, like, why do you want to be with me? Like, I'm, I'm such I'm such a dark person like you know what i mean like i'm i'm i'm, I'm I, I hear you like why me like i have a lot of problems i have a lot of flaws and, you know her head is like she can make things better she can deal with them you know what i mean yeah and in some sense if i didn't have her dealing with some things you know i almost needed that sort of counterbalance to me and then you know, people ask like you know did, did you date a blind person married a blind person make it blind i'm like no i i've had other relationships that were sighted people and things like that, but I'm I don't know if it would have worked out the same, you know, mm-hmm. you know I, I don't know if I would have been sort of like this person with me just because they pity me or they like you know want to take care of me, um, or 
like you know what I mean like it's just yeah yeah no you know it, it's yeah you know like and, you and, and like I have burden. other blind right and I have other blind friends that that have sided you know wives or you know sided you know husbands and that are doing fine like one of the role models that you know that I had when I was growing up football player Greg in Philadelphia you know I looked up to him and and he was the first sort of relationship that I saw with a blind person married to, to a sighted person and he had two sided kids and I saw him like okay so it is possible because back in those days 9, 10 years old 11 years old 12 you start thinking about girls you're like yeah but can I ever be in a relationship can I ever have a family like you know is someone gonna want to marry me because I'm blind right. <laughs> but seeing that you know, sort of, sort of gave me hope. You know I mean? but, yeah, but she's probably yeah, like the perfect that, balance for you because, like, you, I'm sure if she was a girl that was kind of maybe dark and negative or whatever, you know, had similar qualities. She's just super dark about everything. You just, you know, you say something and it's like, oof, wow. And then she just says something even worse. It might be off-putting to you because it's like, wow, like I need something. You probably didn't know it, but you probably need someone who's a little more cheerful and giddy and. Uh, you know, kind of shows you some things that you kind of weren't really, you know, exposed to or, or just things you didn't have going on in your head. Because, you know, like I know with me, there's people around, if they're like super negative, I, I just, I can't have them around because it just brings my depression down and it brings me to like, oof, no, I need people right. that are kind of just like, get like goofy and just like bubbly and like to have fun. Um, because it brings the better, it gets, it brings the best out of me. Um, and right. I'm not even talking about like a marriage cause I'm single, but you know, it's, yeah, I'm sure that's probably what she, you know, I've seen you guys together. I remember we met her twice, but, you know, I've seen you guys together, and it's like you can tell, like, there's, she definitely brings something to the table that brings a little more out of you. Yeah, she definitely does. She she definitely does um, compliment me, and, and she doesn't judge, you know, because, you know, that person that, that, that divided in, so she knows all of the deep down dark things, and, you know, she, when she sees me going down that well, she tries her best to pull me out of it. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, 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 it gets from that trust fall, believe it or not, it's, it's like you sort of, sort of know, you know, you, you, you sort of knew that that was sort of like, you know, the person, the personality that, that you sort of needed, although that we, we do come from different social, economic backgrounds, <clears throat> experiences, blind, you know, like with, with me, from me, she got sort of that that independence, right? Being able right. to say to her parents, like, no, I'm going here. We're going to London. Yeah, just me and him taking a plane. We're going to go visit his friends that he had in college. We're staying there for like a month, and we're coming back. You know, yeah, we're going to Jamaica for a honeymoon. No, by ourselves. You know what I mean? Like, so she, she, I sort of given her more of that you can do it. Like, don't let nobody tell you that 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 we can't yeah. yeah we might get lost you know going here but we'll just we'll make our way out of it we'll ask for directions or help we'll ask for help but but let's go do it you know what i mean so yeah, that's the i sort of push her on that whole independent sort of side of things and, and self-confidence being able to do anything that that like you know she can do Right. You know, because on the other hand, she she doesn't know how good she is or, or her own self-worth. Sometimes I have to tell her, like, come on, like, you can get that job. Like, you're the smartest person I know. And I'm not just saying that because we're married. Like, 
and then she balances me like on that whole emotional part which is where I really need to like work on because you know I, I I can say that I, I'm very caring loving person and but I don't show it like I like looking at me you probably won't get that from me but you know if you're my friend or you know, I'll, I'll give a stranger to shut off my back right like, you're a little rough around the edges you might not sometimes. get that yeah you get that my exterior you know vision that I put out there for the general public right but like I said it goes back to you being an eight year old adult like you know it, it, when you, you just I'm sure there was a lot of love that you needed to have at that point and you know you wasn't getting yeah you weren't <laughs> getting it so it's like now you're an adult and I mean I'm sure the kid thing probably changed a lot too because now you have to be you know it breaks down all the walls that you have. Like you instantly, I'm yeah. sure fall in love and you're just like, Oh my God, like all the love just kind of pours out of you. So if anything, it probably just goes all to them anyway. Right. Um, yep. what was I going to, Oh shit. I was going to ask you something. Uh, uh, Oh, never mind. But yeah, I was going to ask you something across my mind. It's just off. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, I'm sure just, like I said, having kids has just gotta be one of those. Uh, Oh, I know I was going to ask you. Um, did you, it, it, again, you know, it might be a dark question, but it's from a person who has some dark, you know, thoughts. Like, do, do you ever think, like, do you ever get sad, or, you or your wife, uh, ever just get that feeling of, like, it just sucks that you can't, like, see what they look like? Uh, yeah, I think the question that, that they've all been asked us, and are you speaking more, like, of, of, of the kids or just, like, the wife no, just you, just you and her, like, of what they, like, because, you know, everybody wants to know what their kids look like, and, you know, right. everybody says, oh, yeah. my kids are beautiful, but it's like, in your case, you're going to say they're beautiful, and I'm sure they are, but, you know, you know, for you, and, and especially, I'm sure, especially for your wife, because, you know, women are more emotional in that sense, where it comes, it's like, yeah, I, I want to know my kids are okay, and they look all right, and, and whatever. Yeah, they even asked us, like, you know, you know, you know what, you know what we look like, and it's like, that's, that's probably the that I would love the most is to be able to sort of see them. Even like a five-second glance and then it just goes away. Right. Like, I, 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 I know their facial features. I know their hair. You know, I, I know, you know, those those things are, are, are pretty. You know, people describe them to me, have, have, have told me. But, yeah, it's sort of like one of the things that, that I would love to see. And that's sort of like when I start going down that dark areas sometimes I'm sitting there thinking I'm like things I would love to see I would love to see like you know sun setting over the mountains you know because I, I I read a lot of books I hear like all these descriptions and like, things that are happening and damn like things that a lot of people probably take for you know granted or things that I would just love to get one glimpse of you know what I mean like right and, and it's very basic you know, it's not something most people would think about yeah child would you know, it sort of be one of them. But again, I told him, like, if I had the option to see now, though, I don't know if I would necessarily take it because I would have to learn all over again. Because I know what a car feels like, but what I know what it looks like, right? Or would it scare the crap out of me? Because in a sense, you know what something is, the same way you learn as a kid. You see an object, but someone puts a name to it, right? So... Yeah just turn my eyes on I'm going to be like like I wouldn't know what anything is 
without touching it because I'm so used to seeing it. Same way as you put a blindfold on a side of person and you tell them to feel it. Like, they don't always know what it is. They're feeling around like, what is it? Right. And they take a blindfold off and they see it because, you know, the brain, their way of, of seeing things comes through the, through the sense of the sight. And it's a rewiring. You know, put the label to it. It's us just through the hand. Even, like, touching something sort of is different from how the eyes interact with it. Right. Which is I learned doing art because I would just like, okay, this is a tree and I know trees, the way I feel it, it has these leaves like this. Right. So then when I would show it to my brother, like, okay, I tried to make, you know, trees in the distance with this and this. Does it look like it? And he's like, no. Yeah, you describe things two eye, different ways. You're describing right, it through feel, you're describing it through visual. Right, because visually, the, the eyes aren't thinking, they're only seeing like, like the edges of the leaves. And then they blur in, so right. you see more like a mass of it. So when he would draw it out, I'm like, it feels like a mass, of like lines. Yeah, but that's how that's how we see the leaves. We don't see like each individual leaves layered, sort of like how you did it. I'm like, right. oh. And I always tell my daughters because they'll go and looking for something, and they'll open like the fridge or something like that, or open the door. Like I don't see it. I'm like move things around. Like remember, your your eyes can't move things. Yeah. I would reach with my hand and pull it out. Oh, blend it in. Like, yeah, it's the same color or it's underneath that spoon. You would reach in and move it and see it. I always tell them, like, remember, your eyes can't move things. Right. So if I got my sight back, I don't, like, I would have to go to school again. Like, I, I would have to start, <laughs> yeah. like, from the beginning. This is red. This is blue. This is yellow. This is a car. Right. So even if you put a human face in front of me, I'd probably be like, what the hell is that? Like, I, I probably couldn't tell you what pretty was. You know, you know, until somebody yeah. again told me. Well, it's fascinating that you said because my friend Paul, my other friend, like he, he lost his sight when he was a, a teenager, and he's now thirty six, I believe. And he was telling me about how faces are now starting to like go, and he can't remember what his mom looks like. And he said his favorite color was orange, but he can't really remember what orange looks like. Um, and right. you, you lost yours much younger, but can you, can you kind of remember anything as far as what visual, like if someone says the color blue, can you kind of remember what blue looks like? No, I can no longer remember what it, what it looks like. And how old are you now? So I, I don't know I, if I asked. So in my head now, I, I had to study colors. I've done that sort of like in my art, I, you know, design jewelry and do art and things like that. So I needed to know you know, what colors were and what they're made up of and you know, whether they're warm or, or cold colors. So I studied the color wheel and I, I sort of know like what what their intensities are and what colors go with what. Yeah, you know, like blue is um, sky and water and things like that. But Right, water is sort of more cooler. It'll blend into purple and red, which are coming out to be like more sort of like light or right. high frequency type of colors. Um, so I, I studied that. I really stuttered, studied the, the color wheel and the relationship of, of colors, complementary colors, primary colors, and things like that um, to sort of get a better grasp of it, even like with matching my clothes, knowing what went with what, and the shades of them. Um, so again, something that someone could look at and sort of get that feel, I had to go and get a get a degree in <laughs> you know, I mean, just one of those life things. I had to go learn it. I had to go, I had to go study it. Yeah, no, that, that's 
Yeah, like I said, when he was telling me that stuff, I, I never really thought of it. Like, oh, yeah, I guess you can just forget something that you, you know, years and years go by. And for you, I, I, again, how old are you again now? I'm 41. I think I'm 41. like 42 in August. That's, my, that's so messed up. I met you as a kid. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's so it's crazy. I mean, again, you know, that's, what, 37 years from when you could see. So it's... Yeah, I mean, obviously things get blurry anyway in life. You start to forget things, and but to forget what something actually looks like when you knew what it looked like at some point in your life. But again, if you're four, you don't really know everything anyway. You know, you might know okay, right. it's color brown, but you probably couldn't name ten things that were brown. Um, right. So yeah, no, and I think now what I do is sort of like associate. Like if I was to teach a blind person like what colors were, I would sort of use texture now, right? So I would sort of go more cooler colors, I would do more of a softer type of texture to like darker ones, like more rough, like orange peelish going to that sort of sort of um, type of thing is what I would, how I would try to teach it. Um, right. I think that's what they've done with some things I've seen in books, like red, it would be like a certain like, texture for that type of color. Yeah. Th- this may now be... in a- my head, I just have no, go ahead, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah, like, you know, so now I just have it broken down into, like, yeah, this color gives off this type of wavelength of, of light. You know I mean? It's technical. Now. Right. Um, this may be a stupid question, but do you feel like if somebody went through, I don't know, it was just blind for, like, two years or three years, do you think it would make people a little more understanding of what people go through, like, whether it's racially, whether it's... Uh, you know, all the gender stuff we're dealing with now and all the, you know, the people with disability, like all the judgmental shallowness that we go through. If you kind of put everybody on the same playing field as far as visually, um, you think that would actually make any difference? Because in general, like you don't know what people look like unless they tell them, tell you as far as like color, you know, the skin tone and and their disability, unless you can hear a wheelchair or something. But overall, like you're kind of on a playing field of you, you have very little information about a person other than maybe they're, you know, how they sound vocally. Um, right. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you think that could actually change some things in the world if everybody was blind for a couple of years? I think it would. And some people aren't going to agree, but from my current job and jobs that I've, I've had trying to educate people into disability and making things accessible for people with disabilities, a lot of it comes from their perspective or their judgments or what they don't know about it um right. also i think that this pandemic and having people forced to use zoom and not rely on on wearing masks and not rely on facial expressions like so many times i've heard these news stories i've heard these people whining like i can't see the smile i can't see their faces and i'm just like get the fuck over it dude like right. i can't see your face every goddamn day <laughs> yeah i can't but see your hand you mean to tell me because, yeah like you mean to tell me because you can't see my face now that that now you're like, now you can't function because I don't have my video on, like, and 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 you can't see me, like, you're so, you know, you're so triggered over that. Like, that's me every day attending these meetings. I don't get the privilege of seeing your face or seeing you in that little box, but I'm still functioning. And this goes to show you, to take the time to stop and think that you don't need that. Like, you don't really need it. I'm doing without it, right? right? I think it's sort of forced some people without them even knowing what they're experiencing 
that they were experiencing exactly what visually impaired people experience every day. And if you don't like it, then help, you know what I mean? Help make it so that everyone can be included. There's been some meetings that I've been involved in I was a company that I do some work with and everyone who started speaking described themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So I started like by saying, I am Paul Day, I'm a light skin, um, um, a light skin male, I'm wearing a white button down shirt, I have straight curly shorter length hair, I have a patch over my right eye, and I'm sitting in front of a lattice screen background. Right, and then a lady that I've been working with for a while, I never knew how she looked like. She described herself, and I'm like, "That's not the picture I've had of her in my head." I'm like, <laughs> yeah. wow, you know what I mean? And that really like opened. I'm like, man, like they they get they meaning people that can see, you know, perfectly fine, get the privilege of being able to walk into the room and seeing person. Yeah. Right. Like all that information that that's never available to me, they just get it on, on rope. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but but having that world open to me and having that accommodation and you know was really meant something to me. And and she wasn't doing it just for me. It was just making that that event um, accessible to people that couldn't see the people presenting yeah. on on the screen. And I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, you don't normally get to just say, hey, look at that person with the blue hair or that person, like, you know. Now, my family, especially, like, you know, my sister is very good at doing that for me. Since I was, you know, little, we would walk around and she would describe things that going on around me, like, you know, this person has this on or has that on. Or partners, you know, a business partner that I had on the side venture that I was doing, she was very good at describing things for me and doing it in a way that it was being seen her one-on-one, even if we're in front of like, you know, uh, like a, a vendor that I was trying to get to cast something silver for me. And she was very good at like not having them speak directly to her, which often occurs that people won't speak to the blind or the disabled person or speak to the person with them as if we're not in the room. Right. You know, she made it very obvious who was the lead, even to the point of like taking a step back behind me, just so body language wise, they can see that she needs to talk to him. And when I needed something described, she would step up and she would go through with me. You know what I mean? So some people that been around have been very good at that. But yeah. No, I, gotcha. I think if some people could experience it, um, it, it would make getting some things changed a lot, a lot easier. Yeah. Um, Levels the playing field a little bit. Might, yeah. And some people might be like, get more, I don't know how you're doing it. You know, might tedious more, but I think the benefit of giving people the dose, letting them see how it is will outweigh the, the negatives that could possibly happen to them. Right. Well, I've There's said, always going to be good and bad for anything that anybody does. It's just balance. But I think it's better if more people can experience it. 
Yeah, and I think we're just we're a harsh reality of how quick things can turn in your life. The reality is like you could get into a car accident and be paralyzed, and all of a sudden now you're yes, disabled. I that all the time. You know, like, like disability can happen anytime. Yeah, you could be disabled and be disabled even more. Like I don't think people understand right. that. I think you don't get one. Like there's plenty of people out here dealing with all kind of problems. Um, but I mean, look, I have a vision problem. I can lose the rest of my sight. I mean, regardless right. if it's due to an accident or just what's going on with my eyes as it is, it's not, you know, so I think it's a realization. A lot of people don't want to come to terms with like, Oh, I'm, I'm, it's not that far from me. I can easily become him. And you know, that's part, maybe partially they're scared of us because they know, you know, like, like I said, we are a realization. They don't want to know right. what we go through because, you know, even if we, we may make it look good, but deep down that might not be something they can handle because not everybody can handle it. Um, most, most definitely. And, and, and a lot of it is that, I mean, it, it could be easier and that's sort of like, you know, dealing with sort of like making things accessible. It's like, a lot of it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be this way. Right. And you have the power to not make it that way, choose not to. Yeah. And that's just baffling make someone's life much easier. And a lot of the... Come close to the mic. Make, a lot of the things that you can do to make lives easier will make everyone's life easier. It's like the perfect example is the wheelchair ramp. So, yep. no, or the, the curve cut. You know, people in wheelchairs and disabilities fought for that for years. Like, you know, one of the groups uh, that I was with in Philadelphia when I first started working, a lot of those people that I met there were pioneers in that movement of getting those wheelchair ramps, and they slept on the steps of, 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 of courthouses and gotten arrested for it, and now there's curb cuts everywhere, and you'll see perfectly ambulatory people pull you over to walk down that curb cut. Yeah. I mean, just because they're pulling their suitcase or their briefcase or the stroller, not knowing that that thing that's making your life easier, making that luxury for you, was fought for by people in wheelchairs. Yep. So a lot of things that can make life successful, like talking buses, talking trains, all that kind of stuff was like fought for. Yeah. Yeah, I talk about the documentary Crip Camp all the time because that's that's what it's about. It's all about the ADA and all the things that they fought for of getting us so we could actually go to public schools so we can... You know, go so we can actually work and you know anything, and just so we can live in society, uh, even if life is still hard for us, and even though people are still making it harder for us, uh, the opportunities that we have now are nothing compared to what we we didn't have back in the '60s and '70s. Right. Um, yeah, I don't want to make this crazy. I mean, it's already been two hours, so I don't want to talk your ear off. And um, I hope you had fun. Like I said, I really appreciate you doing this for me. Um, no problem. No problem. Every fine could uh could uh, connect. So. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. Like I said, anything you need or whatever, man. Like I said, we kinda we have a lot of, we have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences, but like I said, if you ever need anyone to talk to, I'm around. Um yeah, like I said again, I appreciate you doing this and I, I don't know. Do you have anything to promote? I always ask people. Uh no. Nothing as of yet. Okay. But well either way, know, I- when it comes out, if you do have something, let me know. I'll put it in the description. All right. Um, yeah, you know, my my door is open as well. So you know, if you ever need to talk, 
shoot me that text, shoot me that, shoot me that call. Yeah, well, uh, I'm working on, you know, being responsive. So <laughs> badger me. The person that, that badgers me the most gets my attention. You know, as, as you know, I got the family and the kids over here pulling me in one direction and, and, and work. But, you know, no, I got I'm you. always, always open and willing. So I've had to keep, change keep that. Keep on my radar. Keep on my radar. I got you. What I would, Fair enough. Keep yeah. on my radar. Get my attention. Yeah, I've had to change that because doing this podcast, I have to go find people. Like, I know you, but, you know, I, 95% of the people I've interviewed, I don't know. So, I know them now, but, I, you know, I've become friends with them and all, but I did not know any of these people for the most part. So, I actually have to keep up with them and make sure they still want to do it and, you know. But, yeah, with you, like I said, I'd love to definitely keep in touch and we can do something soon. We can talk off mic and forget all this, but... Uh, like I said, I'll let you know when it comes out, and either way, we'll keep in touch afterwards. All right. All right, brother. Awesome. Take care. All right, man. Take care. Be safe. You man. Bye. All right, guys. I think this is the longest episode yet. <laughs> I swear the last so many episodes have been so long. I'm trying not to, but like I said, these are great conversations. I don't want to split them into two because where, I, where do I split that? Like, the one he stopped going to school, then we cut it from sports. I don't know. That's just this real interview. You take your time when you can listen to the whole thing. You listen to the whole thing. Just take your time with it. You know, like I said, I get it. There's one cup. Maybe I don't know everybody gets their little antsiness. Like with me, I, I try to stay on top of it because I want to know that I listen to every episode. But when you got two hour episodes coming out, it's like, oh, I, I can't listen to this in the whole week. And, uh, you know, there's another one coming out two days from now. It's like, I get it. But just do what you got to do. Listen to it when you can. Um, I appreciate the support. And like I said, I've known Paul for a long time. Um, and you know, it's great that we're reconnecting and, you know, I just want to get his story out there cause he is a great guy and, and he's accomplished a lot. And that's just kind of part of the story. We didn't really delve into what he does for a living and all that. And, you know, maybe down the road we'll do an update episode or something. Um, I'm definitely all for it and I'm sure he would be too. So, uh, I'll see you guys on the next one and, uh, you know, everyone take care and look out for each other. All right. Bye guys. Mm-hmm.